All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We read a a text that is powerful. It's known in in scripture historically as the golden chain. this, This golden precious chain that links our salvation and how it it comes about. We we come to verse 31 and, and, and we're brought to the way that we should conclude after reading this passage. The conclusion we should come to is if if God is for us, who can be against us? You, you, you look at this passage and it is powerful, but the, the power in it is bringing us to a place where the Holy Spirit's saying, how should we think about these things? It's at least referring to verses 28 through 31, more than likely maybe back to verse 18 or even the entirety of the book. But you look at it and the Holy Spirit's saying, so what do we say about these things? He's bringing us to a place of, How should we be thinking? When we read things like this, what should it do in our hearts? The doctrines that are presented here, um, these verses, they can divide churches. Um, I've seen it happen. I've I've seen it where it, it can cause divisions and discord amongst God's people. But that would not be God's desire for us. He, he doesn't go through these passages and say, as a result of this, I'd like you to, to place yourself in this camp or that camp or the other and, and have contentions amongst yourselves regarding these things. He doesn't give us this so that we would all label ourselves as a those with a, a certain theological inclination, Lord. It, it, rather, it, it, it brings us to a place where he says, how do we respond to these things? What do we say? What do we say when we read something like this? What we should be saying is, if, if God is for me, if he's for me like this, Who could be against me? He's bringing us to a place where we see him and have such an incredible view of who God is. Of his sufficiency. Of his sovereign hand over our salvation. That that we would be left in wondrous awe. It, It brings us to a place of wanting us as God's people to sit there and say, okay, how do I think of this? What, what does this do to me? If, if he's for me, 
if, if he is a God who his love is for me, if, if his grace is for me, if his mercy is for me, if, if his sovereign, all-powerful will and purposes are for me, if his faithfulness is for me, who could be against me? He wants to bring us to a place where we say, if, if God is for me, if, if a God who does whatsoever he wills to do, a God who does whatever pleases him, a God who, for whom nothing is too hard, a God who cannot be frustrated, a God who accomplishes all his pleasure, a God who, who can soften hearts and can cause the blind to see and who has the ability to give life and he can make us new creations in Christ. If God is for us, who could be against us? This passage was inspired by the Holy Spirit to enable us to see God in such a way that we would feel safe, that we would have peace, that we would have joy, that that we would be led to worship him, to be in awe, to have reverence for him. That if prior to studying this passage, you were in a place of thinking, my salvation depends on me. Like, I hope I can do enough to keep it. If you were in a place before where you just thought, like, every time they do an altar call, I need to go up. I think that maybe I lost my salvation this week. If every part of your life it's just so fragile that you're looking at your salvation and, it, and it's just it's so man-centered and so dependent upon you, there's a passage that's here that would bring you to a, a place of, of such safety to where you look and you say, okay, if he's for me, if these things are true, if he's for me, who could be against me? I mean, if Almighty God, creator of the universe, is on my side, if he's done these things for me, who could be against me? We know that Satan is against us. We know that the world is against us. We know that our flesh is against us. We know that there's principalities and powers that are against us. We know that these things are against us, but still the conclusion is they're nothing. Not, not in comparison to the purposes of God and what it is that he has done for us. If, if he's for me, who could be against me? They, they can't do anything. The world can come at me and they can torture me. They can tempt me. Satan can come at me and he can bring accusations against me and hurt me. And these are the things that he could do. But if, if God's for me, who could be against me? I mean, if, if I know that all things work together for good for me, if, if I know that there's a, an all-powerful God who promises things like, I will work all things together for your good, to those who love me, to those who are the called, according to his purposes, I'm, I'm safe. I'm secure. We, we pray that as a result of a passage like this, that we would have a clear understanding of the gospel. 
And that the result would be a people who love Christ, that would be eager to proclaim the gospel and to live the gospel. And that we would think of the God of our great salvation and that, that our thoughts that we would have would, would take our hearts and saturate them in the entirety of our beings with words like, if, if God is for me, who, who could be against me? That is the heart of, that, 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 that has such a magnified and exalted view of God that the outflow would be heartfelt praise and adoration. I just, I'm, I, am, I am so thankful to be where I'm at right now because of grace. Everything in this book up to this point has been pointing us to grace, hasn't it? I mean, he just lays out for us. There's none righteous, no, not one. None who does good. He goes through and he just lays it out and then just transitions us to, but God, but God, a God who's great in mercy, a God who has loved us. And so in Romans 8, 28, we see a verse, as I said, we've studied this the last few weeks, but it reveals that we can know something with certainty, and that is that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. The person who loves God is synonymous with the person who is a believer. It is used interchangeably with the Christian. We looked at that last week, that there's a lot of people that would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And yet, the, the question would be, would, would they be... Those that have been made new creations in Christ, their faith is in him, their hope is in him. They love God, they love the brethren. There's fruit that's coming from their life, they've been regenerated and radically transformed. Or would they be a part of those where God says, depart from me, I never knew you, I didn't know you. Those that, that God talks about and he says, they went out from us because they weren't of us. If they were of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out to make manifest that they were never of us. They're, those are the ones that, they're not the called. The, the called, according to his purpose, we, we as believers love him. It's not a perfect love. It's a growing love. It's a love in which we are being molded and conformed into his image, but ultimately, we love him. And so God's saying, we, we know. For the Christian, for the one who loves God, all things work together for good. To the person who's been called, and this calling occurred because it was according to his purpose, God's purpose, before time began, before the foundations of the world, according to God's eternal decree, because of the good pleasure of his will, that our salvation would come as a result of God's grace through faith in Christ and his substitutionary death on the cross, that we would look and we say, we've been called by him. Romans 8.28 has got to be one of the most incredible verses for the believer, I mean, to, to look at and to have such confidence, we know and we know that all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called. But then we see a transition in verse 29 where rather than just switching subjects, it continues on with that same subject. We know that all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called for it goes right into, let me tell you why. Let me tell you how you can know. It continues on the same thought, for whom he foreknew. 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. For to, to those who are the called according to his purpose, it's followed by four. Let, let's look back for whom he foreknew. God foreknew those who would be saved. He knew us in an intimate way and loved us with, with a redeeming love before he ever created the world. And so he wants us to look at this and say, we know that all things work together for good. And the reason why we know is because those that God foreknew, he also predestined. He foreknew us and he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That according to his purposes, he he foreknew us, he predestined us, that you and I would be conformed into the image of Christ. What does that look like? We, we, would, we would be conformed towards holiness, towards righteousness, that we would be heirs with Christ, molded and conformed into his image. He began a good work in us, and he'll be faithful to complete it. He's molding us, shaping us, and changing us, and conforming us into the image of Christ. The sins that maybe we struggled with months or years back, maybe we're not struggling with to the same degree. But we can know for cert- with, with absolute certainty that when we see him, we will be like him. We can know with certainty that there, there will come a day where we will be changed into his image and perfect holiness to where there is no more sin, there is no temptation, all of that is gone, all of it has been changed, and we will be in heaven shining there with radiance as we reflect the glory of Christ who is there on the throne and will be made like him. And he's saying, we, we know this. We, we know that all things work together for good because those that he foreknew, he also predestined. And he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. He did this. He has saved us so that we would be made like Christ. Not gods, not deity, but holy. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That we would be heirs with Christ, joint heirs with him, brought into the family of God. And given this, this inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and it doesn't fade away, that we'd be given this. And so he's saying, we know it's going to work together for good because he foreknew us and he predestined us that there would come a day where we would be in eternity conformed into the image of Christ. And it's glorious. We are, we're looking at a section of scripture in which um, it's, it's a passage that ought to bring us just an incredible amount of, of joy. We, we're looking at something in which at the same time is difficult for us to fully comprehend. The Bible talks about in Deuteronomy 29, 29, that there are the secret things that belong to the Lord, our God. There are certain things that are the secret things that belong to him. He knows it all together. He knows how it works out perfectly. Secret things in which we don't understand. It's a mystery to us. And then the verse goes on and says, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. There's those things which are the secret things that belong to the Lord, and then there's those things which are revealed. The things that are revealed belong to us 
and to our children forever. We look at this passage and we see things that are revealed. In the midst of all of it, there's going to be questions. Certainly, there'll be questions. Some of us may come to certain conclusions. Others may stop short of that. Some of us will say, I think it works out just like this. And others may say, I think I need to stop right here and just say that it's mystery from this point on. It'll be something in which we will work through and look at. And yet I, I, I pray that in the end that every one of us would come to a place of, if he's for me, who could be against me? I may not understand all the details of this, but if, if God is for me, who could be against me? He foreknew me. He predestined me. We, we see that doctrine of predestination and foreknowledge all through Scripture. It's not something that's new to a passage like this. It, it goes back to, to what Paul taught throughout Scripture. It goes back to what Jesus taught. It goes back to what Moses taught us. From the very beginning, we, we, we see this taking place. We see God talking about his people Israel and, and saying in Deuteronomy 7, 6, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more numbered than the other people, for you are the least of all the peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. God chose you, Israel. And it wasn't because you are more numbers than the other people. It wasn't for any reason other than that the Lord loved you. I mean, he just tells us it. It wasn't. It was, you are the least of all the peoples, but because the Lord loves you. He would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. We see it there in Deuteronomy. We see it in Ephesians where it tells us in Ephesians 1.4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We read a passage like that and it tells us something about our salvation. It tells us that God chose you before the foundations of the world, before he ever created the world. This doctrine, as, as we look at it here in Romans 8, it, it's something that should do something within our hearts to look at it and say, okay, I, I don't know how it all works. I mean, you, you say things like according to the good pleasure of your will, and I don't understand that in its entirety. But you did this before you created anything. There was a purpose. You knew these things. You predestined us to adoption according to the good pleasure of your will, to the praise of the glory of your grace. And it does that to me. I look at it and you look and you say, I don't, I'm a Christian. And yet God tells me 
this was known and planned before he ever created anything. And I look at that and I just think, praise him. And praise him. I, I, I think of my childhood and, and growing up in a Christian home. A mom and dad that, that would, would have us read the Bible every, every day and then test us on it. I, I, I could picture just laying on my bed and having my mom uh, talk to me about how we know the Bible's true. And, and I remember being in third grade, Mrs. Stone, saying that the earth was millions and millions of years old, she was saying. And I remember responding by saying, that's not true. And I didn't just stop with, that's not true. I said, that's not true because the carbon dating that you're talking about that makes it so you think it's millions of years old is wrong. Because if it's around anything volcanic or anything like that, it just throws the whole test off and you just don't know that it's even true. And she called my mom. <laughs> he said carbon dating. And he's in third grade. How does he know these things? You know, and, and just watching God's faithfulness. I, I have just joyful memories of being a kid, growing up in the church, watching my parents worship and all of their friends. We just worship for hours. I, I have vivid pictures in my mind of being in prayer groups where we all held hands and prayed and hands got sweaty and I would sit there and just hold hands and I would think like, how long is this going to go? Like this is forever. I mean, it may have only been 10 minutes, but it felt like three hours. It very well could have been three hours, but it felt like three hours. And we would just sit there and just pray and and I, I, I just I remember seeing the love of Christ there, hearing the gospel. I think of when one of my history teachers said, "How many of you guys are Christians?" It's my sophomore year. How many of you guys are Christians? All these people raised their hands. You really believe the Bible? I mean, you really believe like yeah, Jonah got swallowed by a fish. Yeah, you know, spit up three days later. You, where'd Cain get his wife from? I mean, if Cain killed Abel, where'd he get his wife from? And just going through, like, Noah's Ark, really? All the animals came onto a boat, really? And he just mocked my faith. And I sat there just going, I have big problems with what you're saying. But I, I don't have answers to those questions. And I was just disturbed, just dis- disturbed. Where did Cain get his wife from? Doesn't make sense to me. Like, doesn't Bible doesn't talk about that? And then that night, without saying anything to my parents, just going to my dad's library and looking at his library, and I see this book, Answers to Tough Questions the Skeptics Ask by Josh McDowell. And I just grabbed that. I read through the whole thing. I think it was the first book I ever read through, besides where the red fern grows. And and I looked at it and and I'm I'm just Big Dan, little Ann. I'm looking at it and I'm 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 reading through it and just going like, those are answers to all those questions. 
And going back to class the next day and saying, okay, I got answers to all your questions. And he goes, all right, class is yours. Whole class just going through every one of the questions that he brought up the day before. I could picture that teacher coming up to me after I graduated saying, because I, I had invited him to like evolution creation debates and we went to those when I was still in high school. And he came up to me after um, one of the homecoming games after I graduated. He said, man, I've been looking everywhere for you. He said, I just want to tell you, I got, I got saved. And, and just ministering to him and talking with him. I did his funeral a few years back. And I look and I, I just, there, there's vivid pictures in my mind. Like, why'd God have that book come up? Why'd God place me in that family? Why'd God orchestrate these things? And I look at it like he was calling me. He, it was something that was planned before I ever was born. He knew. He knew all of it all together. But not only did he know, but he worked in my heart to change me. Took a heart of stone, which every one of us had, and turned it into a heart of flesh. So guys that were blind and made them able to see. I can't tell you when I got saved. I don't know. I grew up in a Christian family in this covenant community of believers. And I just watched them and I believed and I sang praises. And I remember being a little guy just singing praises. I, I, I hope that that's how it is for my kids as well and many of yours. They just grow up, they see this. Others of you have very specific moments in time. You're driving your car and God saved you at that point. You can picture it. You, you know where you're at. You can give details of where it is that God saved you. Where it is that you first believed. And yet to be able to look at this and say, it wasn't by chance. It wasn't that you just happened to be in the right place at the right time and you turn the radio on and this is what came on. It was the Holy Spirit working in your heart and drawing you. And it was something that had been determined before he ever created anything. This is something where it just says this. I mean, before the foundations of the world, that you would be holy and without blame. Before he ever created anything, predestined you to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, that he would bring you to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And honestly, I don't, I don't understand that. What does, it, what does that mean, according to the good pleasure of his will? I don't, I don't understand that. But what I do know is that it doesn't say according to something good that he saw in me. It wasn't that he just needed me so badly because, I mean, his eternity wouldn't be the same without me. I mean, he's sufficient of himself. He doesn't need anything. But for whatever reason, according to the good pleasure of his will, predestined to adoption. And I just like, I don't understand it, but I will, I will praise you. I'll thank you. When time comes to worship, I'm just going to look and say, thank you. When it comes time to pray, my prayer isn't going to be something like, thank you, God, that I was so smart to figure all of this out. My prayer is going to be, thank you, God, so much that you saved me. 
when I was running away from you, when I wanted nothing to do with you, when I wasn't seeking you, you, you saved me. You, you sent your Holy Spirit just to work in my heart and to draw me unto yourself. You showed me my sin and you showed me my need for a Savior. It was you that did that, God. It, it wasn't me. Forevermore, I will praise you for being the author of my faith and the finisher. You were the one that began the good work in me. You're going to be the one that's going to be faithful to complete it. You, you orchestrated these things, and you're good to do it. And I don't understand it all, but I'm just, I'll, I'll forever praise you for it. We look and we see that when he, when he talks about those that he foreknew... I don't believe that that's something where he's saying, I'm just going to look and see what you're going to do. Um, there's several reasons why I don't think that's the case. One is that Romans 3.11 tells us that there's none that seek after him. So my heart wasn't going to be prone to go towards him. Um, Romans 8.7 says, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I, I look at John six forty four. Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. You look at John six sixty five, and then Jesus says, Therefore I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my Father. Ephesians 2, 8 tells us, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves... It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so I, I don't think that it's just simply that God just looked to see what action I would take. Because um, I think he makes it very clear that I, I wasn't going to be prone to run towards him. I think he foreknew me in a way of a loving knowledge, a drawing An intimacy that was there before he ever created anything. Romans 9, we'll get into that more. But he tells us, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Predestined. We, we look and we find this in a number of different places in Scripture. In Ephesians 1.11... In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. According to his counsel, he did this according to his purpose. There's faith that is there and we trust in him, but how did it all happen? We, we, we see that it was determined beforehand. Now, when, when I talk about these things, I, I know that there's some people that are prone to say, well, then, then where's man's free will in it all? Or did he just make us robots? We don't believe that at all. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that we're robots. <laughs> I, I don't believe that our free will is removed completely. I look at it as I, I have a will to do whatever I will to do, but I know that my will prior to the Holy Spirit drawing me was was a will that was going to go away from him. 
It was in bondage to go towards sin. I know that to be the case. And I know that, that God works in us. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure, he draws us to himself. I don't believe that people go into the kingdom of God kicking or screaming. I, I look at it as the Holy Spirit reveals himself to us, shows us our sin, shows us the glory of Christ. There's light that comes out of darkness to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we see him and we just desire him more than anything. We long for him. We want to follow him. But we understand that it was the quickening of the Holy Spirit that, that drew us unto him. Because apart from him, there's no one that would go to him. We see in, in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of these things are going towards to the praise of the glory of, his, of Christ. Or we, Let me just read some of them in Ephesians. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Ephesians 1, to be to the praise of his glory. 2 Thessalonians 2, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 20, or 31, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord alone. We look and we, and we see that it's all like our salvation, all of it is, is to praise him. 1 Peter 2.9, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that you would be here on a morning like this and say, God, you did it. You called me out of darkness. I know the path that I was going down. And you called me out of darkness into your marvelous light. I heard the gospel and I believed. And oh Lord, you did this for me and I praise you for it. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. In Romans eight twenty nine, it goes on to say, To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. There was a plan. There was a plan, and it was to make us like Christ. In verse 30, it says, moreover, as if, if that's not enough for you. I mean, you, you know that all things work together for good. For those he foreknew, he predestined. But moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. And I look at this, and it, it's like, mm. like I mean, you, you, you look at passages like this, and it's, it's like, behold your God. This is what he has done. Not only has he foreknown you, but he predestined you. Not only that, but he called you. He called you. You look, and, and there is a calling in Scripture um, that goes out to the whole world, whosoever wills, let him come. The gospel is proclaimed and we go and we preach the gospel and there's a, a calling that goes out to the whole world. But the Bible refers to the called or a calling over and over again. And the vast majority of the time, it's a calling that the Holy Spirit does specifically in our lives. Some people call it an effectual calling. 
but we look at it and we, we see it where there was that point in which God brought you to salvation. Let me, let me just give you some verses that deal with that. It, in Romans 1.6, it says, Among whom also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Romans 11.29, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Or Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us before time began. A calling that was according to his own purpose and grace. A holy calling. 2 Peter 1.10, it says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. And so we see that. You see a calling that he has called us with. And you can maybe think of that day. That calling that came. And it is your testimony of that time when God saved you. And so it tells us in our text, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. He foreknew us, he predestined us, and he called us. Now look at the next section. In whom he called, these he also justified. He did it. Those that he called, he justified. Those are sweet words for us because when you look at, at the calling, he called us, and he called us, and he justified us, meaning that he took all of the sins in which we deserved punishment for and he took all of them upon himself so that our sins been totally completely removed and then he replaces it with the very righteousness of Christ he talks about this justification in Romans 3.24 if you want to turn back there a few pages Romans 3.24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith. Apart from the deeds of the law. He, he justified us. He made it so that our sins been removed. There was a payment that was paid for our sins. So that our sin could be paid in full. The penalty could be paid in full. We, we're going to sing worship songs in a few minutes. First song that we'll sing from, I'm just looking at the list here. Towards the end of the song, it says, and, and when we see your matchless face, 
in speechless awe will stand. And there will bow with grateful hearts unto the great I am. But a day will come when we'll just we'll be just in awe of him. I'm here. How? The next song that we'll sing. Begins by, by saying, you bore our sins in your body as you were hung on a tree. So we might die to rebellion and live to him who set us free. You took all my sins upon yourself as you hung on that cross. So that I could be free of them. Where's their boasting? It's excluded. None of us could boast. None of us could do it like, yes, I got in. I did it. We we are going to be there in just speechless awe. It was all you. God, you're the author and you were the finisher of my faith. You did this. You drew me. You determined my dwelling place and my boundaries that I would grope for you and find you. Your Holy Spirit, you made me a new creation. Changed me radically. Changed my affections. You changed everything. You, you made it so that I would long for you. You did this for me. And we will praise him. Look in. It, it says next, and, and those, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Radical passage. I mean, he justified you, he made you so that you were without sin and that you were clothed with robes of righteousness. But those he justified, he also glorified. And we look at that and we say, but we're not yet. We're not yet glorified. We have not yet been conformed into his image. We're not yet in heaven. It hasn't happened yet. But Paul is saying, as the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write these things, it's as if it's already done. Because nowhere in any of these things does it say some of those that he foreknew, he also predestined. Or some of those he predestined, he also called. Or some of those that he called, he also justified. Or some of those he justified, he also glorified. He's saying those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. As if it has happened. Because there's surety in it. If he says it, if he did it, if he chose you from the foundations of the world, if he changed your heart and gave you a new one, made you a new creation in Christ, your old things were passed away and everything became new. If God did this, if God took you who were an enemy of God and made you his child, if he took you who did not know him and and made it so you knew him and you became adopted and you became a part of his family, you became his bride, if God did this, if he took all of your sins away and gave you his righteousness and made you his own, you are as good as glorified because he did it. For him to change it, for you to to lose all of that would mean that he who chose you from the foundations of the world had no idea what he was doing. He who foreknew you had no idea that you were going to do that. He who called you He did not have the ability to keep you. He who gave you this new heart, made you a new creation, 
has to take you and transform you back to being the old heart and the old man. He does not do that. He tells you, I began a good work in you and I'll be faithful to complete it. He says, of all that the Father has given me, I will lose none of them. He tells you, I hold you in my hand and the Father who is greater than all holds you in his hand and no one can snatch you away. Also in that passage, as in neither shall you ever perish. It's not going to happen. And so we look at this, and there's just such great confidence. No wonder it's known as the golden chain, because you, you look at this and say, maybe I don't understand all of it, but I do look at this, and he foreknew me, and he predestined me, and he called me. He, he justified me, and he tells me that he glorified me. As if it is done, because he assures us that when I do this, I complete it. I began a good work in you, I'll be faithful to complete it. I'm the author and I'm the finisher. And so we look at this and it brings us to a place where no wonder we're brought to a place of saying, what do we say about this then? Should should we go outside and argue about it, the details? Should we... Be divisive about it? Should we get proud? Should we think that we've arrived, we know everything now? Or should we just stand in speechless awe and say, if he's for me, if he's for me, who could be against me? Who could be against me? God's God's for me. From the foundations of the world till I am glorified in heaven, he's, he's for me. I certainly can assure you that the Holy Spirit has inspired these things to bring us to a place of awe and reverence saying, he's for me. Who could be against me? I'm so secure in him, not because of me, but because of him, because he's for me. And it ought to lead us to joyful, peaceful adoration and praise. Will you join me in prayer?